Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of The World of Percy Jackson. In this episode we're going to read chapters 20 to 21 and in the previous episode we read chapters 18 through 19 and essentially what happened was Frank ended up meeting Triptolemus or for short Trip and he was actually he's actually a farming god uh, after um, doing some favors for Demeter. Demeter had turned him into a god so now he runs a farming university and gives courses and basically frank uh needed triptolemus to help him out with fixing nico and hazel but of course there had to be an exchange to which um frank had offered to fix triptolemus's chariot which was basically broken so now we're going to see whether Frank is going to be able to fix that chariot or if it's or, or if he's going to be turned into a patch of sorghum. So we're going to read chapter 20 to 21 and then we're going to go straight into the Q&A session. So without further ado, on with the show. Frank stumbled out of the black house. The door shut behind him and he collapsed against the wall, overcome with guilt. Fortunately, the cataplepinists had cleared off, or he might have just sat there and let them trample him. He deserved nothing better. He'd left Hazel inside, dying and defenseless at the mercy of a crazy farmer god. Kill farmers! Ares screamed in his head. Return to the Legion and fight Greeks! Mars said, what are we doing here? Killing farmers! Ares screamed back. Shut up! Frank yelled aloud. Both of you! A couple of old ladies with shopping bags shuffled past. They gave Frank a strange look, muttering something in Italian and kept going. Frank stared miserably at Hazel's cavalry sword lying at his feet next to his backpack. He could run back to the Argo the second and get Leo. Maybe Leo could fix the chariot. But Frank somehow knew that this wasn't a problem for Leo. It was Frank's task. He had to prove himself. Besides, the chariot wasn't exactly broken. There was no mechanical problem. It was just missing a serpent. Frank could turn himself into a python. When he'd woken up that morning as a giant snake, perhaps it had been a sign from the gods. He didn't want to spend the rest of his life turning the wheel of a farmer's chariot, but it, if it meant saving Hazel... No. There had to be another way. Serpents, Frank thought. Mars. Did his father have some connection to snakes? Mars... Mars's sacred animal was the wild boar, not the serpent. Still, Frank was sure he'd heard something once. He could think of only one person to ask. Reluctantly, he opened his mind to the voices of the war, go war god. I need a snake. He told him, How? Ha <laughs> ha! Ares screamed, Yes, the serpent! Like that vile Cadmus? Mars said, We punished him for killing our dragon! They both started yelling until Frank thought his brain would split in half. Okay, stop! The voices quieted. Cadmus, Frank muttered, Cadmus. The story came back to him. The demigod Cadmus had slain a dragon that happened to be a child of Ares. How Ares had ended up with a dragon for a son, Frank didn't want to know. But as punishment for the dragon's death, Ares turned Cadmus into a snake. So you can turn your enemies into snakes. Frank said, that's what I need. I need to find an enemy. Then I need you to turn him into a snake. You think I would do that for you? Ares roared. You have not proven your worth. 
Only the greatest here could ask such a boon, Mars said. A hero like Romulus. To Roman, Ares shouted. Diomedes. Never, Mars shouted back. That coward fell to Heracles. Heracles. Horatius then, Ares suggested. Mars went silent. Frank sensed a grudging agreement. Horatius, Frank said. Fine. If that's what it takes, I'll prove I'm as good as Horatius. Um, what did he do? Images flooded into Frank's mind. He saw a lone warrior standing on a stone bridge, fan facing an entire army massed on the far side of the Tiber River. Frank remembered the legend. Horatius, the Roman general, had single-handedly held off a horde of invaders, sacrificing himself on that bridge to keep the barbarians from crossing the Tiber. By giving his fellow Romans time to finish their defenses, he'd save the Republic. Venice is overrun, Mars said, as Rome was about to be cleanse it. Destroy them all, Ares said. Put them to the sword. Frank pushed the voices to the back of his head. He looked at his hands and was amazed they weren't trembling. For the first time in days, his thoughts were clear. He knew exactly what he needed to do. He didn't know how he would pull it off. The odds of dying were excellent, but he had to try. Hazel's life depended on him. He strapped Hazel's sword to his belt, morphed his backpack into a quiver and bow, and raced toward the piazza where he'd fought the cow monsters. The plan had three phases. Dangerous, really dangerous, and insanely dangerous. Frank stopped at the old stone well. No cataplepinus in sight. He drew Hazel's sword and used it to pry some cobblestones, unearthing a big tangle of spiky roots. The tendrils unfurled, exuding their stinky green fumes as they crept toward Frank's feet. In the distance, a cataplep's foghorn moaned. A, a cataplep's foghorn moan filled the air. Others joined in from all different directions. Frank wasn't sure how the monsters could tell he was harvesting their favorite food. Maybe they just had an excellent sense of smell? He had to move fast now. He sliced off a long cluster of vines and laced them through one of his belt loops, trying to ignore the burning and itching in his hands. Soon he had a glowing, stinking lasso of poisonous weeds. Hooray. The first few cataplepinists lumbered into the piazza. Bellowing in anger, green eyes glowed under their manes, their long snouts blew clouds of gas, like furry steam engines. Frank knocked an arrow. He had a momentary pang of guilt. These were not the worst monsters he'd met. They were basically grazing animals that happened to be poisonous. Hazel is dying because of them, he reminded himself. He let the arrow fly. The nearest cataplebs collapsed, crumbling to dust. He knocked a second arrow, but the rest of the herd was almost on top of him. Most were charging, more were charging into the square from the opposite direction. Frank turned into a lion. He roared def defiantly and leaped toward the archway, straight over the heads of the second herd. The two groups of cataplepinists slammed into each other, but quickly recovered and ran after him. Frank hadn't been sure the roots would still smell when he changed form. Usually his clothes and possessions just sort of melted into his animal shape, but apparently he still smelled like a yummy poison dinner. Each time he raced past a cattle blips, it roared with outrage and joined the Kill Frank Parade. He turned onto a larger street and pushed through the crowds of tourists. What the mortal saw, he had no idea. A cat being chased by a pack of dogs? People cursed at Frank in about 12 different languages. Gelato cones went flying, a woman spilled a stack of more carnival masks, one dude toppled into the canal. When Frank glanced back, he had at least two dozen monsters on his tail, but he needed more. He needed 
all the monsters in Venice, and he had to keep the ones behind him enraged. He found an open spot in the crowd and turned back into a human. He drew a hazel spatha, never his preferred weapon, but he was big enough and strong enough that the heavy cavalry sword didn't bother him. In fact, he was glad for the extra reach. He slashed the golden blade, destroying the first cattle blips and letting the others bunch up in front of him. He tried to avoid their eyes, but he could feel their gaze burning into him. He figured that if all these monsters breathed on him at once, their combined noxious cloud would be enough to melt him into a puddle. The monsters crowded forward and slammed into one another. Frank yelled, You want my poison roots? Come and get them. He turned into a dolphin and jumped into the canal. He hoped Cato Blepinus couldn't swim. At the very least, they seemed reluctant to follow him in, and he couldn't blame them. The canal was disgusting, smelly and salty and as warm as soup. But Frank forged through it, dodging gondolas and speedboats, pausing occasionally to chitter dolphin in insults at the monsters who followed him on the sidewalks. When he reached the nearest gondola dock, Frank turned back into a human again, stabbed a few more cataplepinus to keep them angry, and took off running. So it went. After a while, Frank fell into a kind of daze. He attracted more monsters, scattered more crowds of tourists, and led his now massive following of cataplepinus through the winding streets of the old city. Whenever he needed a quick escape, he dove into a canal as a dolphin, or turned into an eagle and soared overhead. But he never got too far ahead of his pursuers. Whenever he felt like the monsters might be losing interest, he stopped on a rooftop and drew his bow, picking off a few of the cataplepinus in the center of the herd. He shook his lasso of poison vines and insulted the monsters' bad breath, stirring them into a fury. Then he continued the race. He backtracked. He lost his way. Once he turned a corner and ran into the tail end of his own monster mob, he should have been exhausted. Yet somehow, he found the strength to keep going, which was good. The hardest part was yet to come. He spotted a couple of bridges, but they didn't look right. One was elevated and completely covered. No one, no way he could get the monsters to funnel through it. Another was too crowded with tourists. Even if the monsters ignored the mortals, that noxious gas couldn't be good for anyone to breathe. The bigger the monster herd got out, the more mortals would get pushed aside, knocked into the water, or trampled. Finally, Frank saw something that would work. Just ahead, past a big piazza, a wooden bridge spanned one of the widest canals. The bridge itself was a latticed arc of timber, like an old-fashioned roller coaster, about 50 meters long. From above in eagle form, Frank saw no monsters on the far side. Every cattleblips in Venice seemed to have joined the herd and was pushing through the streets behind him. As tourists screamed and scattered, maybe thinking they were caught in the midst of a stray dog stampede. The bridge was empty of foot traffic. It was perfect. Frank dropped like a stone and turned back to human form. He ran to the middle of the bridge, a natural choke point, and threw his bait of poisonous roots on the deck behind him. As the front of the cattle bleps herd reached the base of the bridge, Frank drew Hazel's golden spatha. Come on, he yelled. You want to know what Frank Zhang is worth? Come on. He realized he wasn't just shouting at the monsters, he was venting weeks of fear, rage, and resentment. The voices of Mars and Ares screamed right along with him. The monsters charged. Frank's vision turned red. Later, he couldn't remember the details clearly. He sliced through monsters until he was ankle-deep in yellow dust. Whenever he got overwhelmed and the clouds of gas began to choke him, he changed shape. He became an elephant, a dragon, a lion, and each transformation seemed to clear his lungs giving him a fresh burst of energy. His shape-shifting became so fluid he could start an attack in human form with a sword and finish as a lion, raking his claws as a cattle-blipped snout. The monsters kicked with their hoofs. They breathed noxious gas and glared straight at Frank with their poisonous eyes. 
He should have died. He should have been trampled. But somehow he stayed on his feet, unharmed, and unleashed a hurricane of violence. He didn't feel any sort of pleasure in this, but he didn't hesitate either. He stabbed one monster and beheaded the other. He had turned into a dragon and bit a cattle blips in half, then changed into an elephant and trampled three at once under his feet. His vision was still tinted red, and he realized his eyes weren't playing tricks on him. He was actually glowing, surrounded by a rosy aura. He didn't understand why, but he kept fighting until there was only one monster left. Frank faced it with his sword drawn. He was out of breath, sweaty, and caked in monster dust, but he was unharmed. The cattle snarled. It must not have been the smartest monster. Despite the fact that several hundred of its brethren had just died, it did not back down. Mars! Frank yelled. I've proven myself. Now I need a snake. Frank doubted if anyone had ever shouted those words before. It was kind of a weird request. He got no answer from the skies. For once, the voices in his head were silent. The cattleblips lost patience. It launched itself at Frank and left him no choice. He slashed upward as soon as his blade hit the monster. The cattleblips disappeared in a flash of blood-red light. When Frank's vision cleared, a mottled brown Burmese python was coiled at his feet. Well done. Standing a few feet away was his dad, Mars, wearing a red beret and olive fatigues with the insignia of the Italian Special Forces. An assault rifle slung over his shoulder, his face was hard and angular, his eyes covered with dark sunglasses. Father, Frank managed. He couldn't believe what he'd just done. The terror started to catch up to him. He felt like sobbing, but he guessed that would not be a good idea in front of Mars. It's natural to feel fear. The war god's voice was surprisingly warm, full of pride. All great warriors are afraid. Only the stupid and the delusional are not. But you faced your fear, my son. You did what you had to do like Horatius. This was your bridge. And you defended it. I, Frank wasn't sure what to say. I, I just needed a snake. A tiny smile tugged at Mars' mouth. Yes, and now you have one. Your bravery has united my forms, Greek and Roman, if only for a moment. Go, save your friends, but hear me, Frank, your greatest test is yet to come. When you face the armies of Gaia at Epirus, your leadership... Suddenly the god doubled over, clutching his head. His form flickered, his fatigues turned into a toga, then a biker jacket and jeans. His rifle changed into a sword and then a rocket launcher. Agony! Mars bellowed, go, hurry! Frank didn't ask questions. Despite his exhaustion, he turned into a giant eagle, snatched up the python in his massive claws, and launched himself into the air. When he glanced back, a miniature mushroom cloud erupted from the middle of the bridge, rings of fire washing outward, and a pair of voices, Mars and Ares, screamed, No! Frank wasn't sure what had just happened, but he had no time to think about it. He flew over the city, now completely empty of monsters, and headed for the house of Triptolemus. You found one! The farmer god exclaimed. Frank ignored him. He stormed to La Casa Nera, dragging the python by its tail like a very strange Santa Claus bag and dropped it next to the bed. He knelt at Hazel's side. She was still alive, green and shivering, barely breathing, but alive. As for Nico, he was still a corn plant. Heal them, Frank said. Now! Triptolemus crossed his arms. How do I know the snake will work? Frank gritted his teeth. Since the explosion on the bridge, the voices of the war god had gone silent in his head. But he still felt their combined a anger churning inside him. He felt physically different too. Had Triptolemus gotten shorter? 
The snake is a gift from Mars, Frank growled. It will work. As if on cue, the Burmese python slithered over to the chariot and wrapped itself around the right wheel. The other snake woke up. The two serpents checked each other out, touching noses, and turned their wheels in unison. The chariot inched forward, its wings flapping. You see? Frank said. Now heal my friends. Triptolemus tapped his chin. Well, thank you for the snake, but I'm not sure I like your tone, demigod. Perhaps I'll turn you into... Frank was faster. He lunged at Tripped and slammed into the wall. His fingers locked around the god's throat. Think about your next words, Frank warned deadly calm. Or instead of beating my sword into a plowshare, I will beat it into your head. Triptolemus gulped. You know, I think I, I'll heal your friends. Swear it on the river Styx. I swear it on the river Styx. Frank released him. Triptolemus touched his throat as if making sure it was still there. He gave Frank a nervous smile, edged around him, and scurried off to the front room. Just, just gathering herbs. Frank watched as the god picked leaves and roots and crushed them in a mortar. He rolled a pill-sized ball of green goop and jogged to Hazel's side and placed a gunk ball under Hazel's tongue. Instantly, she shuddered and sat up, coughing. Her eyes flew open, the greenish tint in her skin disappeared. She looked around, bewildered, until she saw Frank. What? Frank tackled her in a hug. You're going to be fine. He said fiercely. Everything is fine. But Hazel gripped his shoulders and stared at him in amazement. Frank, what happened to you? To me? He stood, suddenly self-conscious. I don't... He looked down and realized what he meant. Triptolemus hadn't gone shorter. Frank was taller. His gut had shrunk. His chest seemed bulkier. Frank had had growth spurts before. Once he'd woken up two centimeters taller than when he'd gone to sleep. But this was nuts. It was as if some of the dragon and lion had stayed with him when he turned back to human. Uh, I, I don't, maybe I can fix it? Hazel laughed with delight. Why? You look amazing. Uh, I do? I mean, you were handsome before, but you look older and taller and so distinguished. Tritolemus heaved a dramatic sigh. Eh, yes, obviously some sort of blessing from Mars. Congratulations, blah, blah, blah. Now if we're done here... Frank glared at him. We're not done. Heal Nico. The farm god rolled his eyes. He pointed at the corn plant and BAM! Nico D'Angelo appeared in an explosion of corn silk. Nico looked around in panic. I... I had the weirdest nightmare about popcorn. He frowned at Frank. Why are you taller? Everything's fine, Frank promised. Triptolemus was about to tell us how to survive the House of Hades. Weren't you, Trip? The farm god raised his eyes to the ceiling like, Why me, Demeter? Fine, Trip said. When you arrive at Epirus, you'll be offered a chalice to drink from. Offered by whom? Nico asked. Doesn't matter, Trip snapped. Just know that it is filled with deadly poison. Hazel shuddered. So you're saying that we shouldn't drink it? No! Trip said, you must drink it or you'll never be able to make it through the temple. The poison connects you to the world of the dead, lets you pass into the lower levels. The secret to surviving is... His eyes twinkled. Barley. Frank stared at him. Barley? In the front room, take some of my special barley. Make it into little cakes. Eat these before you step into the Isles of Hades. The barley will absorb the worst of the poison, so it will affect you, but not kill you. That's it? Nico demanded. Hagedy sent us halfway across Italy so you could tell us to eat barley? Good luck! Triptolemus sprinted across the room and hopped in his chariot. 
And Frank Zhang, I forgive you. You've got spunk. And if you ever change your mind, my offer is open. I'd love to see you get a degree in farming. Yeah, Frank muttered. Thanks. The god pulled a lever on his chariot. The snake wheels turned, the wings flapped at the back of the room. The garage doors op rolled open. Oh, it'll be mobile again, Trip cried. So many ignorant lands in need of my knowledge. I'll, trip the I'll teach them the glories of tilling, irrigation, fertilizing. The chariot lifted off and zipped out of the house. Triptolemus shouted to the sky, Away, my serpents! Away! That, Hazel said, was very strange. The glories are fertilizing. Nico brushed some corn silk off his shoulder. Can we get out of here now? Hazel put her hand on Frank's shoulder. Are you okay, really? You bartered for our lives. What did Triptolemus make you do? Frank tried to hold it together. He scolded himself for feeling so weak. He could face an army of monsters, but as soon as Hazel showed him kindness, he wanted to break down and cry. Those cow monsters, the catoblepinists that poisoned you, I, I had to destroy them. That was brave, Nico said. There must be have been, what, six or seven left in that herd? No. Frank cleared his throat. All of them. I killed all of them in the city. Nico and Hazel stared at him in stunned silence. Frank was afraid they might doubt him or start to laugh. How many monsters had he killed on that bridge? 200? 300? But he saw in their eyes that they believed him. They were children of the underworld. Maybe they could sense the death and carnage he unleashed. Hazel kissed his cheek. She had to stand on her tiptoes to do it now. Her eyes were incredibly sad as she realized something had changed in Frank. Something much more important than the physical growth spurt. Frank knew it too. He would never be the same. He just wasn't sure if that was a good thing. Well, Nico said, breaking the tension. Does anyone know what Barley looks like? And that's the end of chapter... 20 well that was definitely uh, a bit longer than our than the previous chapters that we've been reading um so far up to this episode but i think that it's definitely a very important chapter for frank because i think all along frank it's always i think for frank and leo both of them they've always felt like they've been the underdogs and they don't really deserve to be part of the seven they don't understand why they're a part of the seven but I think that when you see chapters like this where Frank, you know, goes to such great extents and he's able to masterfully, like, um, complete these challenges just to get what he needs, it shows you that, you know, that they do deserve to be part of the Seven and that there is a reason why they're part of the Seven and it's because of things like this. It's because of Frank's bravery. It's because of Leo's complete... Um, quick thinking, quick witty, uh, quick cl cleverness, you know, it's all of these aspects combined that make them such a strong candidate to go against Gaia's army and the reason why that they are part of the seven. So this was definitely a great chapter to read and a definitely interesting one uh, as well. And right after the break, we're going to finish out this chapter with chapter 21, Annabeth, and move on to the Q&A session. So don't go anywhere, maybe grab some water, grab a snack. And see you then. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. 
Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption and logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com slash insights. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. And we're back from the ads. And now we're going to read chapter 21, Annabeth. Annabeth decided the monsters wouldn't kill her. Neither would the poisonous atmosphere nor the treacherous landscape with its pits, cliffs, and jagged rocks. Nope. Most likely, she would die from an overload of weirdness that would make her brain explode. First, she and Percy had had to drink fire to stay alive. Then they were attacked by a gaggle of vampires, led by a cheerleader Annabeth had killed two years ago. Finally, they were rescued by a titan janitor named Bob, who had Einstein hair, silver eyes, and wicked broom skills. Sure, why not? They followed Bob through the wasteland, tracing the route of the Phlegathon as they approached the storm front of darkness. Every so often, they stopped to drink fire water, which kept them alive. But Annabeth wasn't happy about it. Her throat felt like she was constantly gargling with battery acid. Her only comfort was Percy. Every so often, he would glance over and smile or squeeze her hand. He had to be just as scared and miserable as she was, and she loved him for trying, trying to make her feel better. Bob knows what he's doing, Percy promised. You have interesting friends, Annabeth murmured. Bob is interesting, the Titan turned and grinned. Yes, thank you. The big guy had good ears. Annabeth would have to remember that. So, Bob, she tried to sound casual and friendly, which wasn't easy with a throat scorched by firewater. How did you get to Tartarus? I jumped. He said like it was obvious. You jumped into Tartarus? She said, because Percy said your name? He needed me. The silver eyes gleamed in the darkness. It is okay. I was tired of sweeping the palace. Come along. We are almost at a rest stop. A rest stop. Annabeth couldn't imagine what those words meant in Tartarus. She remembered all the times she, Luke, and Talia had relied on highway rest stops when they were homeless demigods trying to survive. Wherever Bob was taking them, she hoped it had clean restrooms and a snack machine. She repressed the giggles. Yes, she was definitely losing it. Annabeth hobbled along, trying to ignore the rumble in her stomach. She stared at Bob's back as he led them toward the wall of darkness. Now only a few hundred yards away, his blue janitor's coveralls were ripped between the shoulder blades, as if someone had tried to stab him. Cleaning rags stuck out from his pocket, a squirt bottle swung from his belt, the blue liquid inside sloshing hypnotically. Annabeth remembered Percy's story about meeting a t the Titan, Talia Grace. Nico D'Angelo and Percy had worked together to defeat Bob on the banks of the Lith. After wiping his memory, they didn't have the heart to kill him. 
He became so gentle and sweet and cooperative that they left him at the Palace of Hades, where Persephone promised he would be looked after. Apparently, the underworld king and queen thought looking after someone meant giving him a broom and having him sweep up their messes. Hemeth wondered how even Hades could be so callous. She never felt sorry for a titan before, but it didn't seem right taking a brainwashed immortal and turning him into an unpaid janitor. He's not your friend, she reminded herself. She was terrified that Bob would suddenly remember himself. Tartarus was where monsters came to regenerate. What if it healed his memory? If he came Iapetus again... Well, Annabeth had seen the way he had dealt with those Ampusai. Annabeth had no weapon. She and Percy were in no condition to fight a titan. She glanced nervously at Bob's broom handle, wondering how long it would be before that hidden spearhead jutted out and got pointed at her. Following Bob through Tartarus was a crazy risk. Unfortunately, she couldn't think of a better plan. They picked their way across the ashen wasteland as red lightning flashed overhead in the poisonous clouds. Just another lovely day in the dungeon of creation. Ameth couldn't see far in the hazy air, but the longer they walked, the more certain she became that the entire landscape was a downward curve. She'd heard conflicting descriptions of Tartarus. It was a bottomless pit. It was a fortress surrounded by brass walls. It was nothing but an endless void. One story described as it as the inverse of the sky, a huge, hollow, upside-down dome of rock. That seemed the most accurate, though, if Tartarus was a dome. Ambeth guessed it. It was like the sky, with no real bottom, but made of multiple layers, each one darker and less hospitable than the last. And even that wasn't the full horrible truth. They passed a blister in the ground, a rising, translucent bubble the size of a minivan. Curled inside was the half-formed body of a dracon. Bob speared the blister without a second thought. It burst into geyser of steaming yellow slime and the dracon dissolved into nothing. Bob kept walking. Monsters are zits on the skin of Tartarus, Annabeth thought. She shuddered. Sometimes she wished she didn't have such a good imagination because now she was certain they were walking across a living thing. This whole twisted landscape, the dome, pit, or whatever you called it, was the body of the god Tartarus, the most ancient incarnation of evil. Just as Gaia inhabited the surface of the earth, Tartarus inhabited the pit. If that god noticed them walking across his skin like fleas on a dog, enough. No more thinking. Here, Bob said. They stopped at the top of a ridge. Below them, in a sheltered depression like a moon crater, stood a ring of broken black marble columns surrounding a dark stone altar. Hermes' shrine, Bob explained. Percy frowned. A Hermes shrine in Tartarus? Bob laughed in delight. <laughs> yes, it fell from somewhere long ago. Maybe Mortal World, maybe Olympus. Anyway, monsters steer clear. Mostly. How do you know it's here? Annabeth asked. Bob's smile faded, got a vacant look in his eyes. Can't remember. That's okay, Percy said quickly. Ammon felt like kicking herself. Before Bob came, became Bob, he had been Iapetus, the Titan. Like all his brethren, he'd been imprisoned in Tartarus for eons. Of course he knew his way around. If he remembered his this shrine, he might start recalling other details of his old prison and his old life. That would not be good. They climbed into the crater and entered the circle of columns. Ameth collapsed on a broken slab of marble, too exhausted to take another step. Percy stood over her pr protectively, scanning their surroundings. The inky storm front was less than a hundred feet away now, obscuring everything ahead of them. The crater's room blocked their view of the wasteland behind. They'd be well hidden here. 
But if monsters did stumble across them, they would have no warning. You said someone was chasing us, Emmett said. Who? Bob swept his, swept his broom around the base of the altar, occasionally crouching to study the ground as if looking for something. They are following, yes. They know you are here. Giants and titans, the defeated ones. They know. The defeated ones. Emma tried to control her fear. How many titans and giants had she and Percy fought over the years? Each one had seemed like an impossible challenge. If all of them were down here in Tartarus, and if they were actively hunting Percy and Annabeth... Why are we stopping then? She said. We should keep moving. Soon, Bob said. But mortals need rest. Good place here. Best place for... Oh, long, long way. I will guard you. Emma glanced at Percy, sending him the silent message. Uh, no. Hanging out with a titan was bad enough. Going to sleep while the titan guarded you? She didn't need to be a daughter of Athena to know that that was 100% unwise. You sleep, Percy told her. I'll keep the first watch with Bob. Bob rumbled in agreement. Yes, good. When you wake, food should be here. Amit's stomach did a roll over at the mention of food. She didn't see how Bob could summon food in the midst of Tartarus. Maybe he was a caterer as well as a janitor. She didn't want to sleep, but her body betrayed her. Her eyelids turned to lead. Percy, wake me for second watch. Don't be a hero. He gave her that smirk she'd come to love. Who, me? He kissed her, his lips parched and feverishly warm. Sleep. Emma felt like she was back in the hypnos cabin at Camp Half-Blood, overcome with drowsiness. She curled up on the hard ground and closed her eyes. And that's the end of chapter 21. Well, that definitely was the shorter chapters that we were definitely used to, but it seems that life isn't, still isn't that easy in Tartarus. I think that with the Bob, with the help of Bob, which I do know that some of us were a bit confused as to who Bob was, but I do believe, I think it probably was uh, during the series of Percy Jackson and the Olympians when they had battled Iapetus, um, they had made him forget his memory and now he works as a janitor. So, yeah, I think that it's very, it's, it's justified that Anvath has that worry regarding whether Bob will regain his memory and remembers that he is Iapetus and just decides to just destroy the two of them. But we'll have to see. Hopefully he doesn't regain his memory anytime soon because um, these two have gone through enough already. And I don't think Iapetus suddenly regaining his memories in the midst of it all is just going to make it any easier for them so yeah i think that you know having bob there hopefully helps him a bit given the fact that he does not regain his memories otherwise it's just going to be another challenge like any other um and we definitely do not want that for them so yeah uh it's so that was uh both chapter 20 and 21 we'll continue reading chapter 22 to 23 next week and um now for the q a session um so yeah, I'm going to start out with the shoutouts and then I'll move on to the questions. So for the shoutouts, we have Mila, Penguino, and Carly. Thank you guys for uh, supporting this podcast. Um, moving on to the questions. So the first one is, if you could choose which magical item from Percy Jackson and the Olympians or Heroes of Olympus, intact or destroyed, would you choose? Um, I would probably choose Backbiter. Um, it was, it, you know, it's a double-edged sword. It had a lot of pretty good perks to it um it was basically a replication of chronos's scythe so it kind of had similar powers to chronos's scythe so i'd probably say it could 
stand a really good chance against a lot of, you know, monsters or even demigods in general. It, just anybody in general, I think that it ha- it's a pretty strong weapon to use. So I'd probably definitely... Backbiter is one of my top favorites um, in terms of uh, weapons. Moving on to the second one, uh, do you like... Uh, do you like Nico more than Hazel, or do you like any of the character, other characters? Um, I'd probably say uh, the personalities of Nico and Hazel are just unique in their own, and I think that that's what's so admirable and lovable about them, is that even though they're siblings, they're not the exact same. They're rather, you know, they have some similarities, but they also have their differences, and they have their own unique qualities about them, and I think that's what really I enjoy about the both of them, and... I'd probably say, um, regarding the other characters, it's the same thing for them, you know? They're all similar in a way, but at the same time, they all have their own unique personality traits that I do enjoy about them. Um, so yeah. Uh, which, the next question is, which cabin at Camp Half-Blood would you hang out the most? I would probably, um, hang out a hypnosis cabin. I just, I think, I, I enjoy sleeping Sleeping is something that I really like to do. So I think just being in Hypnosis Cabin and just being able to sleep, it would be a dream come true. So yeah, Hypnosis for sure. Uh, next question is, why do you think the gods are warring in Frank's head? I think, um, you know, Frank originally is from Camp Jupiter. Uh, he didn't do that switcheroo with Percy. But I think that, you know, with this conflicting identity that he's going within himself and trying to figure out who he is with all the shape-shifting and everything and especially visiting um you know europe with rome and greece in the vicinity i think that might have called upon the roman and greek form of mars and aries and that enabled them to start coexisting in frank's head and yeah uh that's that's at least why i think why that happened for what happened um so yeah uh the next question is are you going to read magnus chase uh yes i will be reading magnus chase i'm not sure if it's the series after this one but i will be definitely uh the goal of this podcast is to just finish out the entire series of percy jackson um spin-offs spin-off books i'm not sure yet but um i will definitely try and finish all the Percy Jackson series as much as I can to the best of my ability. Um, next question is, do you play any instruments? Uh, yes, I do. I play the violin. Um, it's, it's great. I, I, I do love playing it. <laughs> um, yeah, my hand does hurt sometimes, but yeah, it's, it's great. I do love playing that. Um, the next question is, who would win with, uh, with Hephaestus and Leo or Percy and Poseidon? Um, I'd probably say it'd be a close fight. Um, I, though I'd probably say Percy and Poseidon simply because of their manipulation of water. I think it's just too good to be matched against. Um, you know, they can do a lot with that water. They can manipulate in whatever way they want. And that could do some serious damage to both Leo and Hephaestus. Um, so yeah, I think, I definitely think it probably the winners would be Percy and Poseidon um at best uh the next question is would you rather fight the basilisk manticore or hydra um hydra is terrifying manticore it'd probably be between manticore basilisk um I just I couldn't do hydra and 
that's it's terrifying that that is one of the most terrifying titans i've ever seen in my entire life um so yeah i'd probably do either basilisk or manticore um to fight uh the next question is where did you get the idea to make a podcast um so well i was actually um listening to some podcasts before this and i thought that it was a really neat idea that they were making these kind of audiobooks um and i really did like enjoy reading and i wanted to try it out and see how it went so i decided to make a books podcast uh, and read the percy jackson series because i'd never read it before and i wanted to try it out so yeah uh, the next question is, when did you start this podcast and how many people did you expect would listen to it? Um, I started this podcast, I think it was three years ago. It's not three years ago officially, but um, it was around 2020 that I started this podcast. And I'm going to be honest, I did not expect many people would listen to this, but boy, was I surprised. Um, but I honestly... All I have to say to that is thank you, everyone who's listening to this. I genuinely appreciate, you know, all the the fact that you're listening to this podcast, the fact that you're listening to me reading is just so much for me. It means so much for me. I did not expect, you know, my I did not expect, you know, people to, you know, a lot of and a lot of people to, you know, enjoy this podcast or even listen to it. So the fact that you know, you guys are listening to this podcast and even giving feedback to me and giving comments. It just, it makes my day every single day. And I honestly have you, you guys to thank for it. And I just wanted to say it's a huge thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you guys again for listening to this podcast, giving your feedback. Um, I do try my best to make as much, uh, fix this, uh, fix everything that I can. Um, but sometimes it's just a bit bit hard um, to, I guess, change it, if that makes sense. But I do try my best because I do want this to make, make this a better learning, uh, listening experience for everybody. But um, yeah, so thank you guys once again uh, for all that you do. And yeah, I hope I get to make more and more awesome episodes like this one. Um... Who do you prefer? Next question. Who do you prefer? Leo, Jason, or Percy? Um, I'd probably say I prefer... Um, in terms of personality, I'd probably say Leo's is the funniest. Um, in terms of power, I'd probably say Percy. Um, just the fact that he can... Again, with his water manipulation, that's, like, just too powerful. That's way, like... uh, That's just insane. So, yeah. I'd probably say... Um, and then in terms of just relationship wise it'd probably be between jason or percy um no offense to leo but i think that you know just with you know how well you know who's who's the better boyfriend really in the end (laughs) um so yeah we probably have to see between it'd probably be percy but i don't know maybe jason also gets some brownie points as well so we'll have to see but yeah i think this definitely was a great episode i hope you guys enjoyed it just as my as much as i did um and before we sign off i would just like to add that in the link uh there's a link in the bio slash description of this podcast that is to my patreon if you guys would like to look at that that would mean a lot to me um it's just optional it's not too but if it's not too much i would really appreciate it um thank you guys uh for listening to this podcast and until next week stay safe and stay out of boredom